Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast all about a life following Watford Football Club. And hey, oh, this feels different to say. Watford have won two games in a row. Uh, first time since April 2021. And Mike, uh, hello. Good day to you. <laughs> oh, there he is. Um, and Geordie too as well. Good morning. Uh, Mike, who were those two wins against? Can you remember those last two wins, back-to-backs? Uh, no. Norwich? Yeah, and, New- and Newcastle. No, Newcastle. It was a promotion season, Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. Uh, and Millwall. Oh, that got us uh, the promotion, the final two games that confirmed our ah, promotion. Ah, right, OK. Um, yeah, so good. it was that long ago. And, of course, you saw that second win in a row. Uh, and the second win in a row recently is against Wigan after beating that there Luton Town. Mike, how have you been after the 4-0 uh, thrashing uh, of Luton Town? Uh, how's, how's your week been? Well, the whole point of winning games like that is to milk it for all it's worth. So I've been, uh, I've had a whale of a time all week watching every little clip that Watford have put out, looking on the Watford hashtag as much as possible, looking on the Luton hashtag as much as possible, and just yeah, just basking in the glory that uh, that a Derby Day win like that delivers. It's you know they are really important games, having had a chance to to reflect on it and. Wondering, I think Matt summed it up quite nicely. Matt Rowson and his his post uh, game piece. Do do look that up if you haven't read it. Um, but he said he, he was wondering what it was going to be like. Does that derby sort of um, atmosphere still exist, and does it still mean as much? And I think what we found out last week and in the subsequent week is that it's it's still very much alive and, and kicking with with Luton doing kicking more of our players than than the ball. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been great, but. What what I've also been aware of all week is the need to build on it. It's it's great in isolation. It's great as a sort of one off game to to win it. And it, there there is a sort of mini. Um, it's not not a real, but there's a cup. There is an achievement, isn't there, for for winning an achievement unlocked? I think is probably if we're talking in gaming uh, gaming parlance. Um, that that is an achievement in itself, but you have to, in terms of the season as a whole, it didn't really mean much if we weren't able to go and kick on against Wigan. It felt like Wigan was a really, really good opportunity, a good game to have next up after that to to move on. You mentioned John, it's quite interesting. You mentioned I was at those the, the games in the last championship season with with work behind closed doors. And I think that probably helped Watford, certainly away from home, where the, they weren't having to face up to um, intimidating atmospheres at some of the grounds. Now, Wigan away, they've got their own difficulties, and, and one of them is a, is a relatively small crowd. You, you know it's not going to be hostile. You know the atmosphere is going to be fairly sort of sanguine. So I did feel like going into this, it was a real, real opportunity for Watford to get that sort of monkey off their back of, of not being able to win two games together and to start picking up points away from home it just so uh, brilliant brilliant to, to bask in the glory of it but with with one eye all week on on the on the game at Wigan desperately hoping that they're going to be able to to kick on from it yeah Jordan we sat and watched that game um we were messaging messaging throughout it uh it was a I don't know it, it's hard to know what's going to happen in the, in a game because all these teams vary so much in the, in the championship but but Wigan coming you know, an away game after some absolutely horrendous away games, it felt like, apart from, of course, the Stoke game. And, of course, some injuries that we have sort of picked up from, from it. And we'll talk about the players, sort of the, the most important players. Who are the most important players to Watford in this podcast? Um, overall, the performance, though, uh, Geordie, that was exactly what you sort of, not hope for, because hope is always 5-0 after 10 minutes. But it's it sort of that sort of, the, the performance and the attitude 
was far better as an away performance than we've seen re- recently, hasn't it? Yeah, I think I think so. I think the the, the key the key thing is that we didn't concede early because we there were opportunities for Wigan to score early, and I think that completely changes the narrative of a game. Millwall scored early, Blackpool scored early, and from that point on, we were we were fighting to get back into the game, and the opposition had that kind of boost early on that they were they were ahead and they had something to defend or to build on. Uh, Wigan had opportunities. There was a, a header that just went wide, I think, that could have just as easily gone in for 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 the efforts of a Watford player to stop it going in. And uh, there was one where they crossed it in, kind of squared it, and the guy didn't get it out his feet. So they, they, a better team. Uh, and on a day where we were less fortuitous, we could have gone a goal down in the first 15 minutes, which you know was almost our trademark. Not doing that meant that we were in the game until the 88th, 87th minute, and we were able to score a goal and win it rather than try and claw a goal back to to get to gain a draw. So I think it's it's interesting that over a 46 game season, the team that goes up, particularly this season, where there doesn't seem to be anybody running away with it, anybody who is a Premier League team somehow lost in the Championship. Everyone in the championship is a championship team because they wouldn't they wouldn't survive in the Premier League. So no one's running away with it. So it's really going to become, and it becomes a bit reductive. But who can who can win the most games? And that means grinding out games. And and I don't think many many kids will be writing to Father Christmas saying, um, "Can you get me a, a a copy of the Wigan away game for Christmas, please?" <laughs> it's not it's not one that's going to live long in the memory. No. No, fair play for the people who went there. But it was one of those games where it could have been. 1-0 to Wigan, it could have been 1-0 to Watford, it could have been 0-0. We came away with the points and and that's what matters. And we need to do that more often than not and more often than other teams. And really, I think this, this season, the difference between the team that goes up as champions, the team that finishes second and the team that finishes 11th or 12th will be how many of those games have managed to grind out. And we couldn't grind out at Blackpool. We couldn't grind out at Millwall. And if you can't do those games, you shouldn't be in the Premier League. So there's obviously levels that we're going to need to improve if we're going to go up and stay up but yesterday was a step in the right direction it wasn't an emphatic win like Stoke which probably again wasn't a 4-0 across the whole game it's this is this is what we need to do and I think the important thing was after after Millwall where we got out fought is that this is a second clean sheet and I think that's something to build on because we have got a bit of a makeshift defense we haven't settled down um, with, uh, with 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 uh, with key partners across that that area, Kamara is probably the only one that seems to be a consistent a consistent face. So I think I think it well done to the players for yesterday for seeing it out because it it wasn't on the whole hugely different to other games. It was just they stayed in it and that allowed themselves to grow. Can I ask a question, both of you lads? Because I, I didn't see the game. I was down at, at, at Cheshire United, who went out on penalties to Lewis in the FA Trophy, by the way. I was just interested to know, because talking about the, the Luton game, if I had to have any, any criticism about that, that performance, it's, it's just our decision-making in the in that final third. And so I'd be interested to know two things from, from you both. How Bayo did, but more importantly for me, what that decision making was like in the final third. Because I think with those players that we've got, Ken Semmer is good at, at this level. Zhao, we know all about. Saar, we know all about. Bayo, we, we, the jury's out. But we've got good enough players to be asking serious questions of virtually every championship defence, I think. But I think that that decision making in the final third isn't isn't always great. What what did it look like? What do you mean by that? Too late, too early. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes, for example, Jao Pedro could could break through the line. Have you know they could have Saar out wide or, or Semer out wide and delay the pass or not not hit the pass. And it feels like we we just need that one 
final unlocking ball to to get a real decent chance and 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 often we we miss it and it feels like we have good um good ownership of the ball in in good areas without without turning it into something genuinely sort of threatening if that if that makes sense yeah i think that you know what i think i saw yesterday was in that final third as a as a gang uh, all of them sort of passing and playing playing balls around uh in between each other was seen a bit more fluid and a bit more flowing. And I definitely know that Jao Pedro helps that massively um, with his role that he plays, that di- deeper role. Uh, you know, the, the difference in that attacking threat, uh, let's call it, uh, yesterday was was Bio. And, you know, you, you look at his performances and I never see, I can't really nail him down like he's terrible. I can't really say he's, uh, doesn't, des- not deserve, but he he's out of place there. But he isn't as... Imp- you know he isn't imposing as as Keenan Davis is, and that definitely felt a bit yesterday. That sort of extra drive that he puts uh, into uh, attack that wasn't there yesterday. But I don't know, Jordy. Do you think there was a little bit about Wigan maybe setting up to counter that? That you know to to put that defence a little bit deeper than they might do against other teams, but particularly against Watford. Do you think they were set up to sort of suppress that Watford attack? I guess they would have been. I mean, our attack is probably our, our our best area. If you look at the players we've got and the and the money that gets associated with transfers out when there's rumours in the window, I think Wigan. A lot of the time, obviously, when you're watching on on a screen, you don't get to watch the players off the ball. But it seemed that the the number six for Wigan was was um, almost man marking João Pedro, which I guess would have they would have worked out that if they can stop that link, they isolate Bayo to an extent because the other players support him are out wide. Um, and I don't think we helped Bayo with our crossing. I don't think our crossing was very good. I think if you're a, if you're a six-foot-plus centre-forward who hasn't got um, Keenan Davis's shoulders, for want of a better word, Keenan Davis is, uh, is quite bustly in, in his own way. He can push defenders out of the way. He can turn and, and use his, his power to burst through. That's not a, an attribute that necessarily Bayo has, but Bayo... He's probably better. You know, he 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 would like it in the air or in uh, chances to score. I think he scored a good a good shot. I forget where it was earlier in the season away from home. Was it Rotherham? Um, so he's a good, he's a, he he's probably decent in the area if we can get the ball to him. But I think we struggled to to do that. And I think it, it just was the I mean, maybe it's what Mike was saying the 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 final pass or whatever. But it it just felt that the, the we didn't create chances for Bayo in and around the goal. So. You can you can blame him for that. You can say well done to Wigan for defending, or you can say that we didn't really do well enough on the wings and get the crosses in. But you know, like the defence is makeshift, the attack is a little bit makeshift. So we need to um, we need to get that cohesion, which is a word that keeps coming up in the pod, isn't it? So we mm. just need to we need to bed that in and have those patterns of play, which hopefully having a new manager, a consistent manager, will allow them to say this is how I want us to attack. This is where I want you to run. This is where I want you to run. And whether you're bustling or whether you're heading it in is kind of neither here nor there. This is where someone can flick the ball and know somebody will be waiting. It does feel like they're much more dangerous under Slav under Slaven Bilic, doesn't it? We look more threatening and under him. We look more organised. We look there is there is at least hints of that that, that elusive cohesiveness, isn't it? Elusive cohesiveness <laughs> um, that that we that we've been after. Someone else that the it's interesting that then Bayo obviously didn't probably wasn't helped by his, his teammates, lads, but but didn't really it didn't really do it for you guys. I guess comparing him to to, to Keenan Davis is is unfair on him. John, there's another someone. The the jury is 
out onto a degree, but I think he's got much more, much, much more credit in the bank. And that's that's Hamza Chowdhury, who's been a bit, bit of a curate's egg this this year, hasn't he? He sort of he's caught the eye sometimes, and then uh, he, he he hasn't quite looked looked the part. And we know that Tom Cleverley's going to be out for 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 a long time now. Um, so we're going to be. Uh, and, and Imran loses out for for a long time as well. So we know that there is now going to be a lot, certainly up until we're able to bring recruitments in in, in January, if if indeed that is the plan. There's a lot resting on the shoulders of of Chowdhury and Kiembe, and I thought Kiembe came to the party against Luton. But I, personally, I'd be really interested to see how Chowdhury played yesterday because I mentioned, you know, Wigan are a, a team that if Watford are going to be serious about being in the in the shake-up for promotion, these are the games that we have to win. We're obviously pleased that we've we've done it, but it should just be a sort of right tick, nod, move on, really, with these sort of games. And I think Hamza Chowdhury is going to have to be stamping his authority on 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 games like this. Was was, was he able to do that, John, yesterday? I, I think I'm going to say almost a, the similar feeling. Although I got the similar feeling from Kayembe and. And Chowdy, let's talk about as, as a pair almost, uh, as I did Bio, where I'm not really going to be able to pinpoint bad. And if, for example, we had just drawn that game, or in fact Wigan had snatched a, a win against us, you, I would be damning them more. I think um, they're not. You know, he 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 was doing what he can do, but the you know that midfield as a whole wasn't really dominating uh, as a that, that central part and making sure the ball was being played through them as much as you sort of want, or at least to have a, a strong option to do that. So I don't know about you, Geordie. It, it, it feels to me that, again, I can't pinpoint anything terrible about e- either of them, but the but the midfield as a, as a whole just wasn't imparting itself as much as you, you want it to. Yeah, I think that's fair. But then I think we're going to be playing an extra man midfield, albeit I think Cousins was marking Pedro. They, they were playing, I think, a 3-5-2 with the with the wing back so unless uh Zhao is acting as a as a as a central midfielder when he's more of an attacking midfielder then then we can get outnumbered a little bit and I, I don't think the role of of our midfield in our setup of Kayembe and Chowdhury is to do anything particularly um <laughs> I can do anything if that makes sense <laughs> no because you've got we got obviously the four attacking players the wingers the center forward and, and Zhao yeah. Pedro and then we've got, you know, ideally the the fullbacks supporting to an extent. Kamara is probably more natural running forward than, than Gosling. But then it's kind of Kayembe and Chowdhury probably have to fill in those gaps when we are attacking and make sure that no one gets through. And two clean sheets in a row suggest they're doing their job defensively. Other than that, I think, you know, Chowdhury is, is full-blooded. He, he kind of got picked up his yellow card uh, yesterday, which, you, you know, is kind of his trademark. So, yeah, well, it's almost um, you know easy money, isn't it? Just betting on the Chowdhury yellow card before the game. Is, um, he, is he suspended now? Does anyone know? Someone, oh, I think I saw some, mentioned somewhere that he might be on five five yellow cards. That's that's worth unfortunately, the only the only the only thing I could take out of the commentary yesterday was that we were a Premier League club last year. I think it was mentioned two hundred times by the Wigan <laughs> commentators. They they didn't really talk about any impact. They didn't name our players um, Kabombe or something like that. Like the Blackpool guy was kind of calling all of our players the same name. But um, dare we, dare really we have a day where we watch like a game and we and we drink every time the uh, the commentators <laughs> mention Premier League quality players. Drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'd um, we wouldn't make it into the game. We'd all be fighting to get in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, one thing we were just, Joe and I were discussing during the game was knowing that where the game was, you know, at, at the hour mark, thinking, you know, 
where we were the better team. We weren't dominating them. We weren't in really, really heavily, uh, you know, attacking and putting them under massive amounts of pressure. We were making our chances. They weren't being taken at that point. Uh, and it was like, well, what are we going to do with our substitutions? And we know how much, you know, Mike, you're a big fan of uh, Aspria. Um, I think you're more of a fan of him in the future, but you've got that in the, the future Aspria in your head. Um, him coming on and then Kalu coming on. And both had a, a big part in that, that the, the couple of minutes running up to the goal. Kalu did, had a couple of really decent little runs where he was, you know, charging forward. Uh, he'd come on for Ken Semmer on the right-hand side. Uh, and he was charging forward and he made a great run. Could have got a penalty, I suppose, but it, was, it wasn't quite out uh, in, inside the box. Um, and then got a knock and, and, and was out. And then a, a few minutes later, you know, with the, the, the corner that led to the goal, Swung in by Espria, back out again. He swung it back in again. You know, a goal scored in Wigan, but born in South America with Jao Pedro uh, on the on the end of his cross. You know, th- there weren't huge amounts of options to come on um, to add something to their attack. But I really felt like it was, they did add a little bit of energy at the right time. I don't know about you, Geordie. Did that sort of feel like they're, they're, all they really added to it rather than a, uh, a plan B? It was just straight swaps, put a bit more into it, lads. But then did Jared Pedro went a little bit further forward than his, his normal number 10 role about that point when Espria came on? Do you agree, Geordie? Yeah, I do. I, I don't think they're necessarily like for likes because Ken is, Ken is um, he's played as a, as a, as a wing-back, hasn't he, sometimes? He's, uh, but not recently. he's taller, he's stronger. No, but I think he's got that that's to his game. I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, maybe Kalu can play further back, but for me, Kalu is more... If you close your eyes and imagine tricky winger, Kalu uh, is probably look, looks more like he fits the bill. He in the, that there's one run where he kind of uh, he kind of took on three players. There's one step over he did where if he was about 50 yards further behind, it would have been good. But he almost shot it out the stadium, didn't he? Because he kind of got too much um, power behind it. But his 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 first instinct is to seems to be to run at players, and I think it was. It was it was interesting because you're you're right. We didn't have anyone else attacking on the bench. I think Gaspar came on as well. But other than that, it was um it was well, nice to see Deli Bashiru kind of getting closer to potentially getting on the pitch and James Morris, who's a who's a fullback, and then Courtney Hawes, which you know you look at the, sometimes look at a bench and think, well, they're probably not 100% fit, but we've got players at least coming back, which is good. Uh, but I think um I think Kalu he, he's he's been criticised um. Obviously, Mike's got his issues about how he arrived at Watford, but there's other people who've kind of mocked his age or his ability. But you look, he's got he's got pedigree. He kind of came out into a, into East, you know, Central Europe from an academy in, in in Nigeria. Then he went to Belgium, and he's been in playing in the French first division. So he, there's obviously a decent player there, but it's I think it was very clear who we've got as a starting front four, and then who are the backups? And and Bayo is a backup to Davis. And I think Kalu and Aspria are backups to, to those wider players and, and Pedro. I think putting Jao Pedro further forward, um, he's probably, along with Davis, our best number nine. But the problem is he's also our best number 10. Well, so he plays a bit further back. So, yeah, yeah I, I really, well, there you go. It's nice to, for, for, for Slav to, um, or me to agree with Slav, I guess he said it first. Um, but I think, I think pushing Jao Pedro further forward and having Kalu run at them meant that Espria was also able to run because, you know, you take off Bio Semma for Kalu and and Espria and you're probably losing about a foot in height on the pitch. So there's there's 
that was a deliberate thing, I think, to kind of let's see if we can go and win the game by causing and upsetting their, their, their the rhythm that Wigan have managed to kind of keep us keep themselves in, and they're quite happy defending the players that are on the pitch. Let's try something different rather than let's try and hold on for the draw. So you know, credit to Billich for for doing that. I think you're right. They are they were the only players that could have come on, and they were really the only changes that could have been made. But the the two the two players that came on played a big role in the goal, and the player that was moved to position is the one that scored it. So credit to Slaven for doing that. I guess I guess to sum up, I was from from not watching it. I was pleased that we won a game that I felt we had to win. We we stuck at it to to get a late winner. We managed to keep them out to another clean sheet, which which Geordie, um, Geordie mentioned, and we did so kind of having to mix and match a little bit with the with the squad again. Once again, we haven't had our, our full starting eleven. So, I think for me, whilst I said earlier, it's just right tick. Let's move on. We had to win that game. I think it is. There's lots of pleasing elements that it sounded like they all rolled their sleeves up. It wasn't a a vintage performance, but they got the job done, which all too often this Watford side just haven't done, have they? So just to have a sort of workman-like, um, unspectacular win is is almost as rewarding as uh, as having a sort of eye-catching one like the one against Luton or, or perhaps a more run-of-the-mill eye-catching win like the one against Stoke because it doesn't give us any false sort of hope for, uh, for, for swatting teams aside because th- and that's not necessarily what I want. I want application and an attitude from, from my team and it sounds like from, from what you guys were saying and what I've, what I've read that they they had to get stuck in yesterday and they and they, they did it they sort of overcame a sort of potentially slippery little away trip and uh, have come away with with three points and just to wake up on a sunday morning having zoomed up the table with with six points in a in a week is uh, is good isn't it it's good fun long may it continue from the rookery end a podcast about life following Watford FC so who are the, the most important players to Watford? And, and this, this sort of came from a little chat we were having, Mike, but also we got some cracking tweets um, after the game yesterday. Uh, and, uh, well, I don't know if he'll make the top five. Let's say the five most important players, do you think, to Watford, the ones that will be making the difference and will make our weekends much more comfortable. I'm not going to give anybody any points for saying number one is Jao Pedro. Um, it's just a bit too obvious, isn't it, Mike? It's, it's the fact that, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier on, Slavan slaying the fact that, him playing the number 10 is his best position. He can influence the game so much more from that position um, and use all his skill set uh, being a number 10 rather than a number 9 and being that bit further up the pitch. But it's, it's, the, it's, it's everything he offers makes him the most important player, not just his, uh, his playing in the right position. His skill, his attitude, his desire, the the threat that he poses, the the mental threat that he poses poses to the opposition. Because let's not let's not forget that, that the opposition have have got to play against these players, and they will not be looking forward to it. They will know just as well as we do how good Jao Pedro is, and they will have to plan for it. And that's a question that they've got to deal with. That's something for us to enjoy and them them to worry about. And yeah, I mean, he's just. And the other thing I think we have to do as Watford supporters, as these games tick by, is enjoying while we've got him. Um, because we are, we have 
in front of our eyes some some talents that really championship football fans don't have the right to to see in their in their sides in certainly in Jao Pedro, Ismail Assar, um potentially even uh, Keenan Davis as well um and and perhaps Yasser Espri in, in in years to come so he's he like you say John he's it's just an all-round package with with Jao Pedro he's everything about him is is superb he's he's brave he's as brave as he's skillful um he's aggressive as he is uh, silky um and he seems to enjoy it he seems to genuinely enjoy playing for Watford which which for a supporter is a is, is a thrill so whenever he's on the pitch Watford have got a chance I think so Jordy who are the other players well actually who aren't the other players that are going to make this top five most important players um you know I want you let, let's let make sure make sure this is the the players that have influenced a game who else are you going to put in the top five Jordy it's a difficult one because I think loser really should be in there um but we don't have him, but I think we need to recognise his absence, um, and his absence may influence whether other players then become important because they're the backups, and without the first choice and the backup, we then we then really are scraping the barrel in, in quite a key position. But I think Imran loser. I think they're, they're to, to Mike's point. You know, Jao Pedro epitomises Watford over the last two games. Gets the hard work done, puts the effort in, meets the challenge physically. And then adds in that layer of quality. And I think what we saw of Loser, the little we saw of Loser this season, because there were questions as to whether Loser would be able to hack it in the championship. I think he was showing that he could do that for those like game and a half or whatever it was we had him, two games we had him. So I think um, I think Loser over the course of the season could be a little bit like our Will Hughes, that kind of left-footed defensive midfielder who was injured for a bit and then yeah. came in and kind of helped give us that consistency because he linked everything together. Um I think I think I think if you like JP is playing the SAR role of our previous um, promotion season, then Loser could play the Will Hughes role. And they're both both you know, really important for that for that season. So I, th- I think I think even though he's barely played, I think Imran Loser would be if I, if we had the full full the full squad fit would be probably the second name on the team sheet for me. Well, I don't think we can put him second in this top five, Jordi, just because how little he's played. Maybe maybe mm. he makes a top five. Let, let's see. Uh, Mike, defensively, though, well, no, midfield-wise, we, we, you know, Jordi has mentioned loser there. And, you know, we haven't seen consistency, let's say, from, from Chowdhury and Kayembe. Do either of them make the five most important players? Maybe not from what they've done, but, I don't know, just a, a gravitas or... A, uh, giving a, an extra thinking uh, challenge for our opposition. Do either of those two think make the top five? I think we need to put Hamza Kayembe in there. Um, because, <laughs> because, because both of them are going to be really, really important to us. Uh, and I think you made the point earlier that they're not going to be eye-catching players. And that's that's because we've got the, the, the way we play with the other players. But they have got a really, really important job to do. And if they don't do it, then... Then this Watford squad will will this Watford team will will suffer and will find it difficult out there. They've got they've really got to do some grunt work out there. So whilst neither of them, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see how many um, how many times Chowdhury or KMB have gone on the back of the Watford shirts replica shot, uh, shirts bought from the Hornet shop, apart from from their family. Um, but you, you get the, you get my drift. They're they're key players without being ones that people necessarily pay pay to see. So it's an interesting one. The bottom line is they they are going to be hugely important, certainly up until we can bring reinforcements in in January. I mentioned it earlier. You'd think that they'd be 
be mad not to be looking to bring some extra bodies in in, in midfield, wouldn't you? With with Dan Gosling um, seemingly um, making that right back spot his own. You know, um, Gaspar came on against Luton and looked handy, didn't he, for the time he was on? But he was still on the bench today. Gosling is the man in possession of that that right back slot, and he's someone that he, he, again, as I said, Jao Pedro looks like he enjoys playing for Watford. I know. Dan Gosling does as well. He it feels like he really relishes uh, pulling on the yellow shirt wherever he plays. You could stick him in gold and he and you know he'd give it an absolute, um, give it his absolute all. So, so would you put him in the most important fireplace purely from adaptability of needing him and and what he's done for that right back position? We had you know a couple of tweets come in. Hanson Ho, uh, of course, uh, our friend from Canada, uh, he says Gosling has been our best right back this season. Mm. Would you keep starting him even if everyone is fit? And I think the answer is he hasn't anything wrong. We know, no. you know, Ngakia's injuries are, are there, and you would, you know, you would love the idea of him getting a chance. Uh, you know, I think I might put Gosling into that top five most important players yeah. just because of of the again attitude and a bit you know, adaptability. I think it has to get him in there. Maybe number four. Definitely, I, th- I think so. I think someone who represents the, the the effort and the and the willingness to to battle for the shirt needs to go in there. And I think Dan Gosling is a really really good example of that. He's not going to moan. He's not going to mope. His chin's not going to be on his chest. If he's out there in the yellow shirt, he's giving it his absolute best, and he's trying to bring everyone else along with him. So I think I think you're right, John. I think he's he's important from that. Um, that point of view. If Watford are going to get out of this division, if Watford are going to have a good season, if Watford are going to challenge, we need players like that. And it sounds like that some of them are starting to come out of their shell. You know, we, we heard that there's been another meeting led by by Truce Kong, and, and and that seems to have uh, have garnered a, a sort of slight shift in, in in performances. But we need that throughout the season, and I think you can rely on 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 Dan, Dan Gosling for that. He's a he's a club man, isn't he? He's a team man. He he's yeah, he's he's important. I, I'm. I've talked myself into it. In you go, Dan. <laughs> Jordy, uh, I think Kamara's got to go in there. Uh, just from, let's like say, he's the, he's uh, just from his energy. Uh, but what he can do in terms of both attack and and def- and defence, I think he's got to make the top five. Do you agree? Well, who's in the top five so far? Let's recap. <clears throat> to recap, we've definitely got Jao Pedro. Mm-hmm. Losers sort of there, but I could maybe see him drop out. We have got Gosling, um, and so far. Mike's put a case forward for Hamza Hamza Kembe. They could easily drop out as well. But what Kamara? Do you think he's he's got to be in there? I I, I don't think got to be in there. Okay. Um, because I think there comes a point where there are lots of players. I think we it's almost like a like a pyramid, if you like. We got JP at the top. No one's really challenging him. The further down we get, I think you can make a case for Cathcart. I think you can make a case for Davis. I think you can make a case for Saar. Now, I'm going to... Davis and Cathcart were definitely on my radar. But my, my, I felt we were going to get to this, find this top five and find Ishmael Asar not in it, Geordie. Do you think you can put a case together for him being yeah, this, I, this I, important, the most important player for Watford? Yeah, I think, I think if he wasn't... I think that a team is made up of individuals. And I think we need to recognise that Ishmael Asar is still a scary name. I think if you look at um, you know, Liverpool in the Premier League, they've obviously lowered their standard this season, losing to teams that you wouldn't expect them to lose to. But the defender who is marking Salah is still fretting the night before because he is one of the big names, even if he isn't maybe at the level 
along with his team as 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 he has been in previous years. And I think Saar makes other teams think about something. You, you you adapt your game. You may not push your left back up so far. You may you may consider stuff. So I think Saar. People say he looks like he's miserable. He doesn't look like he's putting the effort in. I think JP has 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 overtaken him certainly in influence compared to the last promotion season where Saar looked like the Finnish article and JP was was developing. He has kind of plateaued a little bit, but uh, he's got the pretty got the World Cup on his mind, which is which is um, a consideration. We've seen what's happened with with Loser. Um, that might was pretty planted at the back of his mind. But I think I think if you if you take away the first team players, they're all important once you get to that lower level of the top five. Because you take away Kamara, who are you going to put in left back? Morris, does that change things too much? Um, you take Cathcart out or Truce de Kong, and, and you were talking about the, the the kind of conferences they were having and the influence they have on the squad necessarily on the, on the team. So there's and, and Davis, we were talking about, is he better? You know, is he, do we need him up front to kind of get the full benefit of the full four working together? So I think you can make a case for for all of them um, because Saar could be a match winner in a in a in a game that's tight. Uh, like yesterday would have been a classic game where Saar could have just had a run. And got a shot and, and scored. Um, so he's not necessarily dominating games for the full 90, but he's he's got that in his locker. And I think, you know, at, like I said, the 46 games there will be like games of attrition where you you stay in it, and then you you squeak a win at the end, or you kind of just see a game through very tight a tight win. And he's the kind of player who could who could do stuff. So I think there is a case for Sar. I think it's just our expectations of him based on what he's done in the past. Maybe he's not meeting them quite, quite so much. But I think it's difficult. I think you can make cases for. For most players, I mean, Gosling a few weeks ago wouldn't have got into the top eleven. Now we're making a case for him being in the top five. So it is, I think, it is very fluid and very um, dependent on on uh, on who's available, who's playing, uh, and who who's who's available to back them up if they're not there, because that can suddenly make them crucial. Because you might say Backman therefore becomes fundamental. Uh, so I think I think it's difficult to pick once you get into the the body of the of the first team and the squad. It's hard to to rank them, I think they all become almost like uh, a big mass of players. And there's an argument to be made for all of them, but whether that's going to be a compelling and a winning argument is dependent on on the moment. Well, you're not really making choices here, Jordy. Michael, come I'm on, not. finish I'm not. Have you noticed that? Gosling, yeah. Who are the five then, Mike? Who are our five then? Go on then. Look, I think I think Keenan Davis is 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 an absolute colossus for for Watford. I think that the whole team comes together when we've got him when we've got him playing I think the the players like Saar and Pedro and Semmer and Aspria they are all brought into the game so much um, with so much more potential output when when Keenan Davis is is playing so so for me Keenan Davis has to be in there that of course means he has to stay fit for the entire season but I think if we keep him keep him fit we are a danger going forward so for me he's 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 got to be in um along with João Pedro I think Gosling needs to be in for that for that sort of totemic um sort of attitude representation um a combination of the midfielders have to be in because they're going to have to they're going to have to really really dig deep for this for this coming well for however many games there are left until the the January the transfer window um and yeah maybe it is someone like Craig Cathcart who is no nonsense never really lets Watford down never puts a foot wrong i mean he was missing he didn't start yesterday did he he was on the was he on the bench no so he's so he's he's potentially injured at the moment. I'm not sure uh, what the situation is there, but but I love Craig Cathcart. I think he is he's cool, calm, 
composed. He does his job. He does exactly what we we expect of him virtually every time he sets foot there. Another one who I think takes uh, wearing the yellow shirt very, very seriously. And as someone, as supporters, that when he steps out into the pitch, you know he's going to represent our club, our team, with distinction, so I, I I think it should be I think it should be Craig Cathcart, and if we combine all those together, you've got you've got the workman like side of things, you've got the attitude, you've got the flair, you've got the asking questions of the opposition, and and and, and also some question marks, so that people who are going to have to step up and really really deliver if if this team and, and it will show us if this team is serious about about getting promotion but what as always when we talk about these players they are good good players that we have at our disposal and we should be enjoying watching them more than we are at the moment and they should be enjoy playing more than it looks like they have been recently so in talking about the, the squad like this John I think it's it's quite exciting in some ways because it reminds us what what we still might be able to achieve and we've sort of alluded to it a little bit that, that under um, Billich things are we just look more potent don't we we look more organized and more like a, a football team that's going to get on the front foot and ask questions about whoever we're playing so uh, important players throughout the the squad they're they're the ones that I'm going for but it's it's just giving me renewed hope that this season isn't a bust. The, the fact that people like loser are, are missing, the, the, the fact that we keep losing players to, to injury is a concern. But if this lot pull their socks up and really commit, um, we could be having some. Uh, we could we could we could be having some good times this this season still. So Jao Pedro number one, Keenan Davis number two, Dan Gosling number three, Hamza Kayembe at number four and Craig <laughs> Cathcart at number five. Now this list of course can change and there's no way I'm putting a tweet out with this as a number five because the people would read it and just not see the depth that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I think you're right, Mike. It, it does sum up Watford perfectly uh, at the moment. I was going to say, if we're going to have Hamza Kayembe uh, in, in the list, then we could have um, Courtney cathcart Kong in the team as well. <laughs> I think I've seen them play Brixton Academy. (laughs) (laughs) A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. Michael, we got some news this week. Uh, After after all our sort of chats over the last couple of... uh, Months, maybe years, um, about sort of this uh, this ownership model that Watford have mm. um, with uh, with Gino Pozzo being our owner, and of course the the link up there with with Udinese. Stories start coming out this week about one he is uh, interested, particularly Gino. Uh, this was not the uh, the whole Pozzo family in buying a, a third tier Spanish club, uh, but also uh, the the investment by an American takeover or consortium or something. I, I didn't see who the, exactly that this, these people were. Um, of but all three of those clubs, um, firstly, the one that uh, Watford and Udinese and also this new Spanish club, that they would have, have part of, I don't know, a, a shareholding in, in all of them. Mm. That's an interesting... There's two parts to that, firstly. But let's go with the Watford part of that. Someone becoming a shareholder of the club and therefore bringing in investment uh, into mm. the club is that a good thing is that enough it, it remains to be seen doesn't it it sounds like the the whoever this investment company person is will take a 10 percent ownership in 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 Watford it doesn't sound like it's a massive um it's, it's not a massive 
percentage, is it? And, it? and therefore, I wouldn't have thought the the money it generates is going to be huge in terms of allowing Watford to do things that they haven't done previously. I wonder whether what it will do is uh, it might loosen the financial restrictions a little bit. It, it, it strikes me that it will probably give us a little bit of breathing space or the, the group as a whole, if you like, is... My take on it is, is that potentially cash flow has been a, an issue. We've we've seen enough, um, we've seen enough uh, evidence really for me that the loan and the selling uh, loan back of Kamara for for a lot of money, the the Macquarie Bank loans are still being taken out. So it feels to me that there is cash issues. Um, and or liquidity issues, perhaps, is is a better way of uh, of describing it. And you would assume that this investment would would free that up a bit in terms of it, does it mean we're going to go out and be able to spend more money on transfers? Does it mean we're going to be able to develop Vicarage Road? I, I would have said not. Um, I, I think it's something that Gino Pozzo, it feels like, has, has mooted for a while that he'd been open to um, outside investment for, for a minority stake. And, and that's what's happened. Whether there'll be any material difference remains to be seen. I think it will probably be a more, like I say, more beside, behind the scenes, making life a little bit easier um, on a day to day uh, liquidity slash cash flow basis. I, I would be my take on that. Jordi, what about you? The the whole idea about getting this uh, another third member of the this Pozzo family of clubs um, in in Spain in the third tier. Um, do you think that's that will benefit Watford? You know, particularly with us seeming to be the the club uh, between us and Udinese who seem to sign a lot of players and send them out. This could be beneficial. Do you think? Yeah, I think. I mean, they wouldn't. I mean, you say they wouldn't do it if it wasn't beneficial. I guess who it's beneficial to, but there should be benefits for Watford. It's interesting to understand how the Pozzo model has been affected by Brexit, because before we could bring in players, you know, from South America uh, who had uh, access to European ancestry and passports, and get them into certain countries for a certain time, and make them EU residents who could or EU nationals who could then come to to play for us. I don't know how much that's going to be compromised by um by rules about getting you know permits and stuff out now we're not in the eu but yeah they've, they've had obviously they've had teams in spain in the past so it's potentially an opportunity i guess for them to to use to, to build a team up and maybe with some of the players that are surplus to requirements at the other two teams uh, and, and and see what happens so i assume it's going to it's going to benefit I think Watford is still being in, in in England and with access to the Premier League money, potentially the most lucrative of the of the clubs. They seem to be doing a good job of keeping Udinese up, um, which I guess they know that that market and that and that league like the back of their hand. So that that, you know, that the, the sustained period they've had in the top flight is is something they can probably rely on. Although they've had a couple of brushes of relegation and recently they're doing very well this year. So I think I think you know this this will probably be like a fixer upper for them um so they wouldn't see they wouldn't see you know the, the team they're looking at i think in the third third tier i think the spanish league's a bit a bit tricky once you get into the lower lower divisions i think they restructured it um a couple of years ago so it'd be interesting to see how how much how likely it is for them to start moving to the second division and then even getting into la liga i think that's probably a bit a bit of a way off so the focus will still be i reckon watford and nudanese for immediate for immediate kind of you know uh, best players if that makes sense yeah, Udinese currently eighth in in Serie A. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but Mike, the I suppose the bit um, that I read in a couple of articles was the fact that Gino Pozzo would keep the football operations, uh, and that is sort of 
the the problem we've had for the last couple of years, the fact that it's it's his uh, and only his decisions uh, in terms of what happens footballing wise at Watford with the managers, with the with the with the recruits. And if I was to get anything from a new owner, a new stakeholder, shareholder, would be someone to question, not necessarily overrule, not necessarily take over, but someone to question and push and stand up maybe for Watford. Stand up for Watford's side of things uh, as an owner of you know, of the club to Gino, not Gino the owner, Gino the, the, the footballing director, let's call him. That that's not going to change. Well, yeah, and I think what we want is for Gino to be accountable to someone else. Yeah. You, you, you made the, the the point perfectly, John. He, it's Gino's train set. He's his rules. He does what he wants when he wants it and how he wants to do it. Um, and that's something that we've all agreed. It isn't. It is probably to the detriment of Watford Football Club because there's no one able to to push back on it. And so that that is something that I think we all agree needs to change that Watford would benefit from having someone else with a ability or, or a strong interest or some sort of element of control some uh, more checks and balances if you like and, and an external investment is going to bring that if you're presumably putting a a, a a chunk of money that must be in the in the millions of pounds into into an organization ideally with the with the uh, down the line at some stage getting some money back from it because that's what investing is they're not it's you assume it's not an altruistic thing where they say oh yeah let's go and invest in Watford football club that'll be fun to see that that's not what it is and uh, that's not a very good american accent either <laughs> but um i didn't want to say mark i was gonna leave you but anyway. so, so so this money has come in with a view to them getting money back that's that's why they've invested and you assume that whoever it is will be asking questions of of gino potso and he will he will be accountable to people who have uh who have invested money into this into the into the business into the organization into the various clubs so how big that um that influence is remains to be seen but i think on the basis that you know it's unlikely that they they're going to be what for you know football football fans it, the, the likelihood is they're an investment company who who have a chunk of money and they use it to make more money so in footballing terms by definition that will be what for being successful uh, it could of course be selling lots of players and being able to get money back that way uh, but even then, just to sell players to, to turn a profit, you've got to have players who have played well. So the idea is that the money goes in, Watford do well, they get money out. Um, from our point of view, from the questions we've been asking over the years, having Gino be accountable to someone else uh, with a financial stake uh, in the club, I think um, is, is positive, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and no, the thing is, it, it might mean that they want to take out uh, dividends, uh, which, you know, of course, that Gino hasn't had to do or hasn't wanted to do uh, so far under the POTS ownership. And that, that might change things a little bit financially. But hopefully the biggest thing, the first thing it does is, as you say, might give some financial stability because, hey, we've got a bit of time off coming up, lads. Um, we got a, a, a message uh, on our, our uh, on Twitter at Warper Podcast. We are on on Twitter, on on Facebook, on on Instagram. You can find us all on there. Uh, from the International Hornet uh, WFC perspective, he said, realistically, where do you think we will be when we break for the World Cup? 
and we're at the end of the season. Of course, we've, this was yesterday's game against Wigan was the first of five games in, in two weeks. We've got you know this Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and Saturday, the last game before the World Cup on the 12th of November uh, away at Bristol City. Where do you think we can be? Having seen Mike or knowing that we've won some big games, we've got a, a good positivity, we've been able to grind out a result that we maybe haven't been able to do so far. Cardiff away, Coventry at home, Reading at home and Bristol City away. Where do you reckon we... What, what, what do you think we're going to get out of those possible 12 points? It's really difficult to say because we've had two decent results in a row, but that's the first time in 18 months that that's happened. So let, let's not get carried away. We've said earlier in the podcast that this is a good squad, but they haven't done it often enough for us to be to be confident yet. So where can we be? We could be right up there, lads. We could be right up there. If they pull their socks up, roll their sleeves up, get stuck in and do what we know they can do. There's absolutely no reason that we shouldn't be safely ensconced in those playoff places by the time we break for the World Cup and breathing down the neck of the of those um, in the in the top two places. There's just no doubt in my mind that, that we should be doing it. I think Cardiff is, a, is another test, another step up in terms of test being away from home. But it, it's perfect. It's kind of like if we designed a programme of, uh, of almost rehab uh, sort of with, with challenges ramping up week by week um, alongside confidence, it's, it's the perfect next step. I mean, where are Cardiff in the table? They're, they're struggling, aren't they? They're, they're down there in 17th, um, 21 points somewhere where the crowd will be noisier it will be a little bit more intimidating than it was at Wigan for example so they are going to have to deal with with that where previously they've they felt like they've been flaky but we've got to do it so what I can say is that now I'm really excited with this little clutch of games it's sort of I don't agree with the World Cup obviously being when it is where it is but what it has delivered for us is this little parcel of games that we're going into on in, in good form and if we can play well in this little clutch of, of games find that form, have the break, maybe get everyone fit and up to speed, more time with the manager, more time with each other, then we can come back afterwards with with a real having a real tilt uh, uh, getting into the top two. There's absolutely no reason, as Geordie said earlier in the podcast about this division, there's absolutely no reason Watford shouldn't be challenging for the top two um, in the division come the end of the end of the season. It's going to need luck. It's going to need uh, application. It's going to need the right attitude. A lot is going to need to come together. But there's no reason we shouldn't be we shouldn't be challenging. There isn't a stand outside in this in this division. You just need to look at the table uh, and, and consider the results that we've had. Consider the results others have had and look where they are in, in in the table so I think it's a really good opportunity for us to, to to go into the break with our heads held high we're going to draw against Cardiff we'll beat Coventry we'll beat Reading uh, I think we'll get a I think we'll beat Bristol City as well okay 10 points for Mike Jordy yeah. do you agree with 10 or is Mike being his hedonistic crazy man yeah, I've let the, let the brakes off, and now I'm going to look stupid. Yeah, no, I think I think I think you know it's it's exactly it. We said before, you know, the, the season's going to be about who can who can grind out results in in tight games. We're seven points off second, but we're also I think seven points off off relegation. So, um, oh, sorry, nine points nine points off the top and nine points from from um, the bottom three. So, the next four games could be could be huge where we end up. I think. Although nobody has really run away with it, there is we're starting to see the table take a little bit of shape. You know, Burnley uh, are very hard to beat. Um, they've only lost once this season, and they have a decent goal goal difference. And for me, goal difference is often um, 
a decent signifier when teams are close to each other because you can kind of see who who is able to put teams away and who is who's got the the greater margin of error. But you look around and our goal difference is plus four, um, but Blackburn is plus five, QPI is plus six, almost you know almost halfway through the season, which doesn't which doesn't show any real dominance. Swansea are, are, are in sixth and their goal difference is zero, which just shows the level of inconsistency. So I think. We, we can we can take if we can build on these games and we're going to probably have the same players um not going to have any injuries so and we like we spoke about we've got some players on the bench yesterday who might be coming back if we can really put our foot down over these games and there's no one there that we should be really scared of um because nobody's nobody's playing superbly well if we if we can go there and I think if you said there's 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 four games if we if we can stay unbeaten which getting uh, ten points would mean then I think that would, that would safely put us in the, in the top six if we were to do that. Um, and then it would be a case of using the World Cup to hopefully get that cohesion, bring the injured players up to speed, and then hit the second half of the season coming out the traps. Because I think this this it's been obviously disrupted the first part of the season, changing manager, uh, well, having a new manager <laughs> to start the season and having a new manager soon into the season. So the fact that we're if we can get to the, the, to the World Cup in the top six to eight I think that'll give us a foundation for when we click to certainly secure at least a playoff place this season um, and depending on whether other teams kind of are, are peaking early um, even push for the top two but it's, it's really down to us it doesn't really matter what everyone else does if we, if we are unable to uh, to grind out those games we're absolutely hilarious yeah. supporters aren't we I've, I've been miserable all season we've won two games in a row and I'm like yep yeah, unbeaten for the next four games we'll, and we'll get promoted easy what well, a, absolutely pathetic well, he, just wanted <laughs> yeah. to see, he says where do you think we will be when we break the World Cup my question is I've got not got a clue I think you're right, Mike. You know what, and Geordie's sort of saying we we do what we do, and if we can get the ten points, Mike said we'll be we'll be up there. But where's up there actually yeah. mean? Because easily, maybe outside of Burnley, every single one of those clubs could probably go on a, on a little bit of a, a poor run in the next. They could lose two of those games, in the same way that we could lose two of those games. So exactly where we are in terms of position is just up for grabs. Who knows? Who knows where we could be? We could we could easily be second. Could easily be second, but could easily still be seventh. But I don't think we're going to be lower than 14th. No, no chance. Um, but we will we'll see. We've still got those games to go. Uh, it's going to be intense. Uh, lots of games. Lots, uh, I think, one every, well, every three, or, three or four days. Uh, and hopefully this, this squad can stand up to things uh, and, yeah, be able to keep running out to uh, the various songs, including uh, Zed Cars, when, uh, when needed. Uh, and we shall see, as we always do, here on From the Rookerin. Thank you very much, Geordie. No problem. And thank you, Michael. Let's keep more talking about wins, please, Watford. Love it. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back again with another podcast. Talk about Watford very, very soon. Thanks for listening. Come on, you all.